Welcome to the Community Fellowship Podcast, your way to stay connected with biblically-themed messages, discussions, and interviews from Community Fellowship in East Bernard, Texas. Learn more about our church at the cfeb.church website, check us out on social media at CF East Bernard, or attend an in-person service at 635 Main Street in East Bernard. We are a local church that works to make the love of Christ for all humanity known to our community and the world. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy this week's content. So uh, beside my bed is a really ornately and perfectly framed picture of my oldest daughter and I, and she actually happens to be here. I didn't mean for that to happen, but she's here today. Um, but uh, it's, it's one of my favorite things in the world. It's such a beautiful picture. She's about two years old. She's barely able to walk, and it's a picture of her and I holding hands. We're walking down the sidewalk, and it, it's, it's my favorite for two reasons. She is clinging to my hand, and we're looking at each other. She's looking up at me, and I'm looking down at her. I don't know who took it. I don't remember, but it's a perfectly framed picture. It's perfect timing for that picture. And every time I see it, I am reminded of my relationship with God, that he is my father and that he loves me in such an incredible and profound way that I never will fully grasp or understand on this side of eternity. And this morning, we are going to be walking through, uh, well, this, this month, we're going to be walking through the Lord's Prayer. Um, as we begin the new year, I thought this is a, the, probably the most fitting thing that we could do. As we, as we look to kind of aim our relationship and, and grow our relationship with the Lord, the best thing that we can do is that we can talk about prayer. Because prayer is one of the most dynamic ways for you to build your relationship with Jesus, is by spending time in prayer. So if you want to, we're going to be turning to the gospel of Matthew. We're going to read the Lord's Prayer. We're going to be jumping around a little bit, but that's where we're going to start this morning. Matthew chapter 6, and it's in verse 9. And listen, as you do that, I want to say this. I know that many of you, you come from a background um, or a faith tradition that you maybe, when you came to church, you, you said this, you repeated the Lord's Prayer. It was something that you said. And a lot of times when we repeat something often enough, it can kind of become just rote. Um, it can kind of become just kind of secondhand to us. And, and, and I, what I want to do is I want to make sure that we stop and we kind of focus in on what Jesus is doing here in the Lord's Prayer. Uh, and so, so we're going to look at this not as a prayer that we should pray necessarily, not that that's a bad thing, but I want us to see what Jesus meant from it because it's a model prayer. It's a prayer for us to see how Jesus prayed, not what he prayed, but how he prayed. So we're going to spend some time looking at that. So let, let's read this together, and we're going to see that even in this first verse, Jesus says that. This then is how you should pray. All right, so let's, let's read this together. Verse 9. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Okay, so 
There's two places that we find the Lord's Prayer in the Gospels. We find it first in the one that we just read in the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, and the other one is in Luke. And just real quickly, I want us to see the placement of why they're placed where they are by the authors of these Gospels, okay? So one of the things that I want to make sure that I remind us is that while God's Word is the inspired and errant Word of God, and we believe that, we trust that, we know that to be true, each of these authors, while they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, they also had a purpose for why they were writing what they wrote. They had an audience that they were writing to, and they had a message they were trying to get across to that audience. Uh, you, you might think about it this way. Uh, do you remember whenever you were in high school and you had to write a couple of different papers throughout the, the, your senior year? Some of, Actually, I think it's even earlier now. I feel like when I was talking with Becca the other day, it's like freshmen have to do these different papers now. So there might have been like at one time you had to do a creative paper, right? Those were the most fun because it was like anything that you kind of wanted to write on and you got to kind of go off and let your imagination go wild. Those were really, really fun. Then there was like the descriptive paper, right, where you're having to kind of write about a person, a place, or a thing, and you're trying to relay information to your teacher, and sometimes she would grade that a little bit harsher and a little more critically than you, she would the, you know, creative paper. And then there was the ones that was probably the hardest one, the persuasive paper, right, where you're having to make an argument and you're trying to persuade the person reading it to agree with your argument. The reason I say this is because this is exactly how the authors of the scripture, this is exactly the way it was. For example, you want to talk about a creative paper, turn to Psalms and Proverbs, okay? This is, this is the creative mind of David and other authors expressing their emotions and their heart to God. So it's creative. Descriptive, that would have been the historical context of, you know, something like Samuel or Kings, so they're chronicling and they're relaying information about what happened during a time, or even the New Testament, the book of Acts. Luke for, in the book of Acts does that for us. The persuasives, that's the Gospels. They're trying to persuade, and particularly the audience that they're writing to, who Jesus is. And for Matthew, Jesus is the Messiah. He's the new Moses. And so when Matthew is writing the gospel of Matthew, he's trying to convince fellow Jews of who Jesus is, that Jesus is indeed the now fulfilled, now come Messiah. And so what he does is in the middle of his gospel, he places the longest teaching that we have of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount. And I know Pastor Ron did a great job this last summer going through the Sermon on the Mount, but Matthew's doing this on purpose. And then right in the heart and right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount is guess what? the Lord's Prayer. Why? Because Matthew's trying to teach us that this is absolutely, fundamentally important to those who are pledging their life to Jesus. If you want to follow the teachings of Jesus, this prayer is essential for you to understand what Jesus is trying to communicate. Now, we turn to Luke, and Luke, it's in Luke chapter 11, we see that this same prayer, minus a little clause, is also relayed to us in Luke. Now, here's what's happened in Luke. In Luke, Jesus has just sent the disciples out. He said, hey, listen, you are now going to be my ministry, ministerial ambassadors. I'm sending you out. And so he sends them out, but then they come back, and they're kind of relaying the, all that's happened in, in their ministry experience back to Jesus. And they see Jesus praying, and they go, there's something different about the way the Lord prays than the way I pray. And so they stop, and they ask him, and they say this very line that we see on the screen, Lord, teach us to pray. And so then Jesus gives 
what we commonly call the Lord's Prayer. But I, I really think the best way is actually to call it the model prayer. Jesus is giving us a model prayer. What should prayer look like? And so this morning, here's what I want to do. I want to just focus on the first four words. We're going to do this kind of line by line over the next few weeks, so hopefully you'll bear with me. But we're going to look at this, and we're going to look at the first four words today. Our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. Okay, so let's look at this first word. Jesus starts his model prayer for the disciples, for all of us who follow Jesus, not with my Father, but with our Father. Because Jesus recognizes that there is a community that belongs to God. There is a family that belongs to God. We don't do this on our own. This is not just me and my Jesus, all right? This is our God. That's when we declare that in the songs. Our God is who we sing to, right? And so Jesus understands that, and Jesus says that. Now, I just got to stop here for a second because I want you to know that if you're not involved in some kind of group outside of our Sunday morning time, I want to highly encourage you to do that. In a couple of weeks, I'm going to ask for some of our group leaders, those who kind of are responsible for leading some of our men's Bible studies and our dinner eight groups, they're going to be here both before and after our gathering time to be able to talk with you a little bit. You can go meet them and you can kind of talk with them a little bit. I really encourage you to find a community, a smaller community that you can get involved in because it's really in those smaller communities where we grow. We're challenged by other people and the way we do things. And I'm going to tell you this, did you know that I am involved in one? I myself am part of a Wednesday morning Bible study for men that meets in Glory Bean Cafe. And I spend time with other guys, letting them challenge me even on the way that I think about the scriptures. And sometimes, listen, sometimes they're right about it and I'm wrong about it, right? And I've got to listen. That's what we're there for, that we're there to grow. We're there to be sharpened. We're there to hear what God would want to speak to us and how God would want to challenge and grow us as individuals, but also as a community together. So I encourage you, I encourage you, know that you cannot do this faith thing alone. You cannot follow Jesus alone. You have to have more people in your community, okay? So Jesus acknowledges that. Jesus acknowledges that we have to have, we're in community and we have to have community, okay? That we're brothers and sisters. Uh, in fact, uh, some of you might have, you've probably seen this a couple of times now. The DeWitts, we have uh, some friends that we call family like friends that are family kind of thing. Um, and truthfully, many of them are closer to us, uh, for Emily and I, than many of our own family. And that's not to, to dog my family. I love my family very much, but they are closer to us. They know more intimate details about our lives. They know the things that we need to be prayed for. They, they know those things, and they're there for us in incredible ways. In fact, last week when we had our prayer and worship time, uh, most of them sat on the back two rows back there uh, right next to us, uh, because they love us like that, and they wanted to be here and worshiping with us, ushering in the new year. This is the kind of community that we're talking about, a community that you have that when things go wrong, when life gets hard, because it will, that you have someone there to remind you of the faithfulness of God, to remind you of the goodness of God. So I just, I encourage you, please, 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 find some community not just the Sunday morning. Sunday morning gathering is incredible, but you can't, you can't be challenged. You can't be close to people in this kind of a morning 
gathering. Find another group. Okay, this next part, he says the word father. And this is where we're going to camp out for a little while uh, because this is a big deal. And Because uh, I know for a lot of us, that word father can be a very loaded word. It can be a very loaded word um, because some of you, you may have great relationships with your dad. Some of you may have a poor relationship with your dad. And you kind of take that into your understanding of who God is as father. It's, it's almost impossible to not do that. And so this morning, I want us to kind of talk about God as father so that you can have a really good theological grasp and understanding of what it means when we say that God is our father. Okay, so let's first look at the word that Jesus uses. The word that Jesus uses for father, you've probably heard it before. Uh, if you haven't heard it in the context of church, you've definitely heard it in the 70s by a band called Abba, all right? So he uses the word Abba. Now, Abba, if we were to translate it into our own definition, it would be more like the word Papa, okay? It's not quite as slang as Daddy. Um, it has that, that reverence, um, that honor still, but it is still very intimate. It's a very intimate relationship. And so when Jesus uses this, this is, this is kind of a game changer if we're honest. He, he, he kind of changes the game a little bit because Israel related to God as God Almighty. Remember, they, they wouldn't even say the name of God because it was so holy and so distinct. But Jesus comes out on the scene and he says, I want you to pray like this. Pray, Father, Abba, Papa. So it's this nearness to God, this closeness to God that Jesus is trying to help us understand. He wants us to know this is who God is. He is our Father. Listen to how author and theologian J.I. Packer puts it in his book, Knowing God. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his Father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means he does not understand Christianity very well at all. For everything that Christ taught, everything that makes the New Testament new and better than the old, everything that is distinctly Christian as opposed to merely Jewish is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. Father is the Christian name of God. He's so right. Knowing God as our Father dramatically changes the way we pray or even our desire to pray. Knowing him as father changes everything. Because listen, if you know God as a taskmaster, this is what he wants you to do, do it. Your relationship with him is going to be stale and cold. You do what he says because you expect for him to do something for you in return. If, if your relationship with God is, uh, is that he's a cosmic genie, if I just say the right words, I'm going to rub the lamp just the right way. He's going to answer my prayer the way I want him to. You're going to miss out on the fathering heart and the relationship that God wants to have with you. He is not just a vending machine. That is not who God is. He desires genuine relationship with his children. So learning to relate to God as our father, it might mean this. It might mean that you have to tear away some of those faulty ideas that you have of your own dad. Some of you in this room, your, your dad was abusive. Every time you did something that frustrated him, you expected some severe consequences. 
I know that that's hard. You learned that a father is hard. Some of you, you had the opposite. Your dad was permissive. And so what you learned is really that you could have gotten away with murder. You could have done anything, right? Daddy didn't reprimand you. He didn't care really. And that's kind of how you felt. Dad wasn't there. Dad didn't care. This is not who the God of the scriptures is. That's not the kind of dad that we have. And it's not the picture that Jesus is trying to paint at all of who God is. Jesus is flipping the script when he teach about, teaches about God being Abba. God is involved. God is compassionate. God knows what is best for you, and he always wants what's best for you. Now, the flip side of this is understanding who we are in the relationship. If God is Father, then that makes us his children. That makes us his children. And that's what John says in the epilogue to his gospel. Before he even gets to where we read, uh, to where we're going to read here in just a minute, he says, he says this, he says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And then he reiterates that in his letter in 1 John 3, 1, probably, probably, if I'm honest, one of my favorite scriptures. I say that a lot. You're going to hear that a lot. It's my favorite. But this, I really think it is because it emphasizes something, and I want you to see it. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And then he says this, exclamation, and that is what we are. Children of the Most High God, the one who created everything with the breath from his lips. We are his children. Now, I need to clarify some things, though, before we go any further. We need to clarify something that John said in that first passage that I read, John 1.12. Because some of you in this room, you might be struggling in your prayer life. You feel like God's not really there. You don't feel this closeness. You don't feel this tenderness, this fathering heart that you're supposed to. And, and here's what I think it means. It either means that you, first of all, like we said a minute ago, that you have an unhealthy view of what it means that God is your father, or that you have an unhealthy view of what it means to be his child. One of those two things. And here's what we need to make clear, though. Just because you exist does not make you a child of God. Please hear me say that. Just because you are a living human being does not make you a child of God. And that's hard because sometimes it's taught differently in different churches. Okay? Sometimes we just say, well, all of us are God's children. That's, that's not actually true. That's not what the Scripture teaches. In fact, Paul actually uses some very harsh words about us. Because of our sin, because we're separated from God, we were what Paul says, we were his enemies. We were enemies of God. But, what we just read in John 1.12, if you have received and you believe, you are now a child of God. So that's the question you have to ask yourself first. Have I received, have I trusted in what Jesus has done for me on the cross, that he took my sin onto himself, his death and his burial and his resurrection means that now I can have new life 
Do I believe that? Do I trust what he did was enough to restore my relationship with God? Do I receive that gift of salvation and eternal life through him? So do you receive and do you believe in what Jesus has done? Because that is what makes you a child of God. Nothing else. Not anything you do, not anything you say, not where you attend church, none of that. What makes you a child of God is do you believe in what Jesus has done for you on the cross? Because he is what makes you a child of God. Now, the reason that others in here are struggling perhaps in their prayer life is because you aren't a child of God. Like we just said, you're, you're not actually a child of God. You've never believed in what Jesus has done. Others, you do. You've trusted, you believed in what Jesus has done, but you still feel that, that distance. You still feel like, I, don't, I really, don't really know him like I'm supposed to. And, he, and here's why, because you're wrestling with your being a child of God. You recognize that he's father, you recognize what he's done, but you're wrestling with what it means to be his child. And here, here's what I know about children. I know a couple of things about children. I have four, so you'd think I'd know a few things. Um, here's what I know. First thing is that children are trusting. It's probably the most beautiful and wonderful thing about a child. Uh, and being in children's ministry for, you know, 10 years, it was one of the things that I loved. They believed you when you said it. They trusted you. When you said something to them, when you shared something with them, they trusted you. They believed what you said, okay? Now, this can, in our culture especially, it can be a bad thing, right? Because when an adult comes, sometimes it can be a, a, a dangerous thing because they believe so quickly. But isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting that the thing that Jesus says that we have to become like is a child? If we want to understand the kingdom of God, Jesus says, you have to become like one of these. And he pointed to a child. Why? Because children trust. There's no condition on their trust. They trust. Genuinely, they trust. They trust in whoever's speaking to them. When, when my girls were uh, a little bit younger and they were wanting something um, and, and, and I knew that it wasn't necessarily good for them to have it, uh, a lot of times we get into this discussion and I'd get down on their level and I would just say, hey, do you trust me? Do you know that I love you? Do you know that I have your best in mind? And all I want for you is your best. And, I, and it's humbling. It's a humbling position to be in as a father when they look back and they say, yes, daddy. But listen, I fail. I messed up. I, I mess up all the time with my children. But we have a God who fathers us who never ever messes up. And there are moments that are difficult in our life. You, you, you're probably sitting there sometimes and you're like, God, are you really even here? When you lose a job, when you have a family member that is sick and their diagnosis is, is not good, you question if God is good, if he's there. Can I trust you? Church, this morning, hear me say this. God is getting down on your level and he's asking that question. Do you trust me? Do you know that I have your best in mind? Romans 8 is so clear. He works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. God loves you. 
Do you trust him? Do you trust him this morning? Here's another thing I know about children. They're dependent. They are dependent on their parents. They need their parents. I mean, think about them when they first come out, right? When they're little wee ones. They can't do nothing without mama, without daddy, right? Here's what I know for us. Probably the reason that we struggle the most as children of God is because we try to take things and do it on our own. We're not dependent on him. We, we're dependent on ourselves. And, and part of this is, we've talked about this a million times, part of this is our American culture. We are individualist through and through. We are pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and do it, which is not a bad thing. I'm not, not saying that's a bad thing. But it is a bad thing in the regards of, does it disturb your relationship with God? Do you depend on yourself instead of depending on God? Because children are dependent on their parents. They depend on their father. So, here's a question for you. When's the last time that you told God you needed him? Now, let me clarify this, because you're probably like, well, yeah, just the other day I was praying and I said, God, I really need this. No, no, no. That's not the question that I asked you. I didn't ask what you needed. When's the last time you told God you needed him? You needed him. We sang it a minute ago. God, my God, I need you. I need you now. Listen, the very breath that you have in your lungs is given to you by God. At any moment, that breath can be gone. You need him just to breathe. But it's more than that. It's more than that. As you're planning out this year, as you're setting goals, are you talking about that with the Father? Are you bringing those things to him? Because he wants to be involved. He loves hearing from his children. We can't do it enough. I know my own children. And there are times, again, I fail. I mess up as a dad right? Where I'm busy into work and thoughts and doing kind of stuff. And my children come up, daddy, can we do this? Daddy, can we do that? And sometimes I miss it. But if they really grab my attention, dad, can we just talk? Absolutely. I I'm an earthly dad and I don't want to miss out on that. We have a heavenly father who desires to hear from us, who longs to be with us. And even more, he longs for us to know him and his heart and who he is. God is our father, comparing, caring, excuse me, compassionate, understanding. We are his children. There's only one word to describe us, needy. We're needy. We need him, not the other way around. He doesn't need us. He loves us, but he doesn't need us. We need him. There's this last little descriptor. We said we're looking at the first four words. Our Father in heaven. In heaven. What does it mean that God is in heaven? This communicates something to us as well. Heaven in the scripture always 
always, always, is God's place. It's God's throne. It's God's dwelling place. It's where God exists. It's his realm. Now, there are times in Scripture where heaven and earth can collide. They can come into contact with one another. Obviously, through Jesus, that happens completely. God comes to earth. He comes to earth. But heaven is reserved for God. And it's where God, everything that God wants happens in heaven. We're going to look at that later on in the prayer because that's part of the prayer. On earth as it is in heaven, right? What God wants happens. Yet, listen to what Isaiah says. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. See, when we're wrestling through all the things that are going on in our life, difficult situations, God's plans and God's thoughts are way higher than ours. And it may not even involve, truthfully, it may not involve us at all. It may involve someone else that God is calling us to minister and love on. But he's given us this difficult situation so that we will be able to walk beside them. And it may not even be right then. It may be in the future. But God allows us to go through it because he loves us and he loves him as his child. This is God. I love uh, the picture that C.S. Lewis presents of God in his series, The Chronicles of Narnia. You know, Aslan is kind of this God-like figure in this whole series. And in the first uh, of the, the books, which is actually represented in the movie as well pretty well, um, Lucy, kind of the heroine of the story, right? She's sitting there and she's watching Aslan walk away on the beach. And our good friend, Mr. Tumnus the fawn, comes up and he starts to, to talk with her. And she's looking and she's like, oh, he's leaving. She's kind of just sad, upset. And Mr. Thomas says, but he'll be back. And she says, when? Mr. Thomas says, we don't know when. He comes when he wants. He leaves when he wants. But we shouldn't press him because he's not a tame lion. And then Lucy's response, but he is good. Friends, that's the God that we serve. He is not a tame God. He doesn't do things on our whim. He doesn't do things when we, like, it's not because we ask him that he has to do it. That's not the way it works. He's God. Does he want us to come to him and ask him and beg and plead for things? Absolutely. But what he wants is he wants for our hearts to align with his heart. For us ultimately to say, I trust you. And I trust, like Lucy says, that you're good. Whatever you have, God, you are good because you love me as your child, because you are my father. The greatest good has already been done for us. God sent his son Jesus, to die for us as a sacrifice, to take away our sin. The creator of the universe has come into our world to buy us back into a relationship with God. He made a way. He brought heaven to earth. And this morning, this morning, if you recognize that your prayer life is maybe lacking because like we said a minute ago, you you really 
haven't received and believed in that truth. I'm going to be back in the back. I, please don't leave this morning without us being able to talk about that. I want you to know God as the Father that he wants you to know him as. So don't leave this morning without that. It, or others in you in here, um, maybe this morning you're recognizing that maybe your view of God as Father or maybe your view as yourself as a child is a little bit off. You've missed it a little bit. As I pray in these next few minutes, would you just tell God that? Would you talk to the Father and say, God, I just missed this. I, I missed, I, I have this, this wrong view of who you are. I have this wrong view of who I am as your child. And trust and know that only God can fix that. And he will because he wants and desires that relationship with you. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we're so grateful to be able to say that word, Father, that you are our Papa, you are our Dad. And Father, I pray for all of us in, this, in here this morning, God, as, it, as we go through this series these next few weeks and we talk about what prayer is, that we would get this first part right. God, we would recognize it is not about the words that we say, but it is about who we are in a relationship with. God, that we would know you as our Father who loves us. And God, that we would trust you as our Father who only has our best in mind, only good for us. God, we thank you that's who you are. And we pray this in your name. Amen. If you have questions about this week's message or would like to start a conversation with someone about what it means to walk with Christ, please email pastor at cfeb.church. You can find earlier episodes of our podcast on our website at cfeb.church, where you can also give online to help support community fellowship in our mission to reflect and share Christ's love. We can also be found on many major distribution platforms like Apple Podcasts, where you can subscribe to stay connected. Thank you again for listening. Now go out and love one another like Jesus did.